Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for getting us here. God, I pray as we talk about this idea of freedom, would you help us? Would you be with us? Um, And God, this morning, I pray right now, over the next half an hour or so, would your spirit work to free people? Um, God, we need your spirit to do this. This is not natural for us. And so, God, would you help us understand what it means to uh, live as free? God, as we look at this story, would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts? And would you draw our hearts into greater worship and affection for you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle. And so we must straighten our backs and work for our freedom. A man can't ride you unless your back is bent. Freedom, Dr. Martin Luther King said and believed, was was fought for. It's something that you just don't have. It's something that you get, something that you win, something that you take. As he's talking about a people that are oppressed, he said, we must fight so that we can be free. Now, for most of us, that, that kind of makes sense because for, I'm assuming almost all of us, if not all of us, we're American citizens, right? If you think about just our culture, you move from the civil rights movement to the founding of our country, and it's a country founded on fighting for freedom, right? We're here because people said we will stand up and we will fight for freedom, And just think about it, our freedom today is preserved by men and women fighting for our freedom. And we love this idea of freedom, right? We think of uh, freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of thought and freedom to bear arms. We have all these things that we would say, man, we just, we need our freedoms. And when we feel kind of quenched or squashed at all, we stand up and we say, we need to fight for freedom. Even here in America, we have this little idiom that we say that freedom ain't free, right? We, we know this idea that, that freedom doesn't just come, but we need to fight for freedom. Now, if that's true, if that's kind of our cultural kind of lens that we view freedom on, the question I want to ask this morning is what does freedom have to do with life with God? Right? What, what, what does a life with God have to do with freedom? What does it mean? Does this mean we have to fight for our freedom every single day? Does this mean that God just gives us freedom? Does this mean that we have freedom at all? Does the Bible say anything about freedom? Well, in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 actually says that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So the life with God is being set free so that you can walk in freedom. This morning, I think we need to see as the next part of this series uh, that a life with God is a life of freedom. That Christianity is a life lived freely. There's a freedom involved in Christianity. Now, uh, as we get into our text this morning, I want to say one thing quick. This morning, what we're going to do right now is kind of a part one of a two-part look at freedom, okay? So this morning, we're going to look at the the process of freedom. How do we actually become free? What does it mean to be enslaved, and how do we move to freedom? But what I'm not going to address this morning is kind of the follow-up question that we should ask, which is, 
well, then what does Christian freedom look like? Like, what does that mean to live day to day in freedom? And that's going to be part two. And if you have one of these books, uh, these are our Life with God books we've been going through. There's an article written in here that in city groups this week, it is going to address the question, what does Christian freedom look like? What, how should we view freedom day by day? And so here's my kind of shameless plug, get to a city group this week. Like if at all possible, get in a city group because what we're gonna talk about today is the beginning of what you're going to actually talk through in city groups. So if you have a city group, make sure you get there. If you don't have a city group, uh, talk to one of us, get a city group card at the connect table and get to a city group this week because we're gonna be looking at in this book what it means to live in freedom. But that's gonna be in city groups. This morning, I wanna just ask the question, what does it mean and to move from being enslaved to being free. Because if we believe that life with God is a life of freedom, then we need to see how that happens. And to do that, uh, we're gonna look at the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. So if you got a Bible, go to Exodus. I'm gonna be flipping around to different pages. We'll have them on the screen in a moment, but if you got a Bible, you can go there. Um, this is maybe one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You've probably seen maybe movies of Moses and the Ten Commandments. You maybe heard some of these stories before. Maybe you've read it before. But what I want to do is I just want to look at this story because you see what we find in Exodus is a physical, historical, true story that's kind of a, a picture of a greater spiritual condition that you and I have. You know, the book of Exodus is like this mini little story that's kind of being a picture of the huge redemptive story that you and I are part of. So what I want to do this morning is just kind of tell that story. And I'm going to have five different points where I'm just going to press in and I'm going to show, hey, the physical things that are going on here are actually spiritual truths that you and I are a part of. And so we're just going to walk through the story. I'll point out these kind of five things as we go. And my hope is that by the end of today, we see how even we move from being enslaved to being free. All right. So we're going to go uh, tell this story and look at these five points. So if you got a Bible, we're going to start uh, right away in Exodus 1 and one of the readings that was read for us. Uh, and I'm going to quickly just read over this again so it's in our minds. I think we'll have it on the screens. But this, this first point that we're going to look at, this first idea that we need to see about freedom, is that freedom is for the enslaved. Freedom is for the enslaved. So let's see this in Exodus 1, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read really quick, so just kind of follow along. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Before we can get to freedom, we need to see the, the slavery. 
So if you maybe remember, Exodus is the, the second book of the Bible. So if you go one book back, Genesis, the whole book is about God making these promises uh, to these men and, and kind of this one family. So he makes promises to people like Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And then Jacob has these 12 sons and Jacob's name changes to Israel. And these sons become these 12 tribes of Israel. And one of his sons is named Joseph, who we saw in our text. Now, Joseph had just this like terrible, terrible life. Like it was, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was left for dead. He was manipulated when he was in Egypt. He was falsely accused of crimes. I mean, it was like a repeated, horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, right? Like, have you guys read that book? No? Okay, a couple people. I did a lot. I was kind of a pessimist as a kid, so I liked it. Uh, but anyway, that, that's Joseph's story, essentially. It's day after day, like things just keep getting worse for him. But through it, we find that God actually was using these circumstances to raise Joseph up in Egypt. He became like one of the heads over all of Egypt, working right under Pharaoh. But we see in our text this morning that some years have passed, Like pharaohs have come and pharaohs have gone and there's new kings in the land of Egypt. And it says these new kings didn't so much remember Joseph and they didn't so much like the Israelites. The Israelites were growing as a people and the Egyptians thought if they grow too big, they're going to overtake us. So here's what we'll do. We'll put them in slavery. We see that in the last verse of our section. It says in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So here's what I want us to see in this kind of setting for our story is that Exodus is set up to show us that these people that would become God's people began as a people in slavery. That the people that would become God's people were first a people in slavery. They did not, this people was not like the, the, the people that had an easy life. They were not the most powerful people. They were not the, the biggest, the strongest, the best looking people. When you think Israelites, before God makes a covenant with them, think um, not America or China or the old Roman Empire. Don't think big, massive people groups. Think like this tiny little group of people that were slaves. That's Israel's history. That's where they are coming from. Now, again, like I said, the physical condition of Israel is a picture of the spiritual condition that you and I face. It's only a, it's a shadow of the greater reality. So if that's true, then I want to ask us the question, what does it mean for us to be enslaved? If, if God's people for all time started out as a people in slavery, what does it mean for us? You know, when we think about slavery, uh, or when we think about being enslaved, uh, I think we immediately go to some kind of physical things that might just enslave us, that we feel enslaved to. So, so maybe for a handful of us in the room, um, when you think of being enslaved to something, you immediately think of a, a bottle or a substance. And you think, man, I just, I have been enslaved to this. I've been addicted to this. I have had chains on me that I, that I may hate this as much as my friends and family do, but I just can't get out under the weight of this addiction. It is just enslaving me. Or maybe for others of us, you know, statistically speaking, with our church, about a third to a half of our church, if we're true to statistics, probably are enslaved to some sort of sexual sin. Whether it be pornography or some sort of infidelity or adultery, 
There's probably a number of people in this room that just feel enslaved to this sin. You know, there's things that all of our minds could go to. I could rattle off a ton, but let me just ask you this. If you struggle to think about what might I be enslaved to, just ask yourself this question. What is it in your life that you feel completely powerless against? What is it? Maybe it's an emotion, maybe it's an action, maybe it's a substance, maybe it's just, just what is it in your life where you just feel like you are completely powerless against? It just enslaves you. Or maybe this question, if, if I were to take something away from your life, again, maybe it's you never get to feel this thing again, you never get to have this thing again, you never get to experience this thing again, and I just take it away, what do you feel like is in your life where if I took that away, you'd feel like I, I can't live anymore without this thing? You see, all of us have these kind of physical things in our life that enslave us. But I think that's only one step. You see, that's, all those things are simply symptoms of an even greater slavery. You know, the Bible says we're addicted, we're enslaved to things in this world because there's a greater slavery that we face. The Bible says that you and I, that all of us naturally, are enslaved to sin. That is that we are naturally, by nature, born into being enslaved to do the things that are against God. That we don't come out naturally just wanting to worship God, wanting to follow him, wanting to give up our lives for others. We come out wanting to build our own kingdoms, to live for our own pleasures, to have our own things in this life. We live for us. We don't naturally live for God. And the Bible says that's because we are enslaved to that. That it weighs on you. Have you ever had this where you just feel like you consistently are doing wrong? You're consistently doing bad things and you just feel like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just consistently doing this. The Bible says that's because naturally your heart is enslaved to sin. And before we can see ourselves as a people that are freed, we have to come to reality that we are first a people that are enslaved. That life apart from God is not this free life where you get to do everything. It's actually being enslaved to yourself, to the culture, to the ways of the world. But the good news is, is that freedom is for those who are enslaved. So if you feel that this morning, you feel enslaved, keep listening because freedom is only for people who will recognize their slavery. So that's kind of the, the setting, all right? That's the first point. Now, second, flipping your Bible to Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 23, Exodus 2, verse 23. It says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The second point this morning I want to highlight is that freedom is for those who cry for help. Freedom is for those who cry for help. So look in this text. They are being oppressed. They're being enslaved. Year after year has gone by. And what do the Israelites do that's going to set off the chain of freedom? They don't put their minds together and think of this war strategy, right? They don't get, you know, their Napoleon or, or their Rambo or their war guy to come and lead them out of slavery. 
They don't fight at all. Look at verse 23. It simply says, they groaned because of their slavery and cried for help. Now I'm going to assume for a moment, uh, which is dangerous, I realize. This isn't Bible. This is just kind of my thoughts as I'm thinking about this. I'm assuming if you're enslaved for centuries, somebody in Israel has probably tried to rebel and break the oppression, right? I mean, I would just imagine somebody try to gather a few people and say, hey, let's go and let's fight the Egyptians and let's get out. Now we don't know that, but I'm just kind of thinking maybe at some point that happened, but it, it, it never mentions that. That's not the process of freedom. That's not what works for them. It just says at some point in time, when they were broken, they simply cried for help. And I want you to notice here, it's a real little thing. Notice in the text, it does not say, and the Israelites cried out for help to their God. It doesn't say they cried out to Yahweh to bring them help because of all these promises they've made. It simply says they cried for help. Now, here's why I think that's important. I would imagine there's some in the room this morning that you might be here and you may not have a strong sense of who God is. You may not know if this God is real. You may be here this morning thinking, well, there's many gods and there's many religions and there's many ways and I don't know this God that we're worshiping and I want to show you from the story that God is not in the business of saving people that have their theology right, that have their lives cleaned up, that that make all these adjustments and then they come to God. God frees a people who simply cry for help. That's the heart posture of a people that can be freed. It's a broken people who just say, I need help. In Providence, we cannot believe, if you're a Christian, you cannot remember your story as one to where you got a a certain amount of um, uh, morality figured out, or you cleaned yourself up, or you figured out all the answers to your theological questions, and then you said, now I'll submit to God. Your story is one where when you barely knew God, you just cried out for help and he saved you. You know, this is my story. I remember the night I was in college, my sophomore year, when I knew some things about God, but I had no concept of who he really was. I had no concept of the, the inner workings of the gospel and atonement, all these big things. I remember sitting there reading my Bible, just thinking so brokenly, I just need grace. <laughs> like, I just need help. I just cannot do this on my own. And it was in that moment that I believe God came in and rescued me. It wasn't when I figured out all the things about God. It wasn't when I got all my questions answered. It was simply when I was a broken man saying, I just need help. And so I just want to say for you this morning, if you're in that place where maybe you're here as a bit of an internal cry for help because you don't know where else to turn, I want you to feel the freedom to this morning, just cry for help. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to blend in with all of us just the right way. You simply cry for help. And here's the good news. The very next chapter, God begins to help. Look look at this. The the third point I want to make coming from Exodus 3 is that freedom is from God. That they are an enslaved people. They cry for help. And then look at Exodus 3. I'm going to start in verse 7. That God immediately comes to them and he says this. 
The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. If that was you this morning, hear God saying this. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Freedom is from God. You know, this is amazing. God hears the cry of this small little people, this small oppressed people group, and he says, I am going to make them my people. I'm going to come down and I'm going to save them from their slavery. And notice the Ten Commandments, all these laws that God has, they didn't come in Exodus 3. He didn't hear the cries of the people and then say, okay, well, if you follow these things, then you can be with me. If you clean yourself up, then you can be free. If you can show me some strength, I will then come in and help you out. It says, they cried for help and God said, I will now come and free you. This is beautiful. God doesn't give them any sort of 12-step plan. In Exodus 3, he goes to a man, Moses, and he says, I'm gonna raise you up as a deliverer of my people. I'm going to save my people from slavery and you are going to be the one that leads them to freedom. So again, for the Israelites being freed from earthly slavery, God raised up this man, Moses. He said, I'm going to send you into the slavery, into the oppression. Moses was out of this at this point. He said, I'm going to send you into this so that you can bring my people out of this. And Providence If we think about our spiritual condition, God does an even greater act when he sent this man, Jesus, the son of God. And he said, even though you're not being enslaved, I'm going to send you into slavery. I'm going to send you into the world so that you can lead my people out of slavery. Jesus was free in heaven. He enjoyed the the glory and the beauty of heaven. And God said, I am going to send you as a deliverer into the midst of the brokenness and the slavery. And when Jesus took the cross, the Bible says that he became as a slave to sin. He freely gave himself. He walked into the middle of slavery, even though he didn't deserve it, because God used him to bring us out of slavery. It was through Jesus alone that you and I could have our chains broken. You see, it was Jesus that walked in and he submitted himself to sin and death. He died on a cross as the punishment of sin and death, but he rose again so that he then owns sin and death. Think about that. Jesus no longer lets death reign in our world. He holds the keys of death. He controls death. He reigns over sin and death. It is not victorious over him. And the Bible says if you trust in him, that you too have been led out of under the oppression of sin and slavery and death, and you are now free with him. This is amazing that just by our believing in a deliverer, the man Jesus Christ, you get to walk out of slavery and you now are not under sin and death. You're no longer powerless under your addictions. You're no longer powerless under the weight of sin, but you can be victorious because Jesus 
was victorious. He owns sin and death. And you too can own sin and death. You can be over it in Jesus. Now we need to believe this this morning. That our simple cry for help is the only thing that enacts this in our life. It's not cleaning ourselves up. It's not getting stronger. Israel was a broken little people that were enslaved. You and I spiritually are just broken, enslaved people that through Jesus can walk in freedom. Freedom is from God. Now, although that's kind of the climax, the the story kind of goes on, right? So in in the book of Exodus, uh, God does. He delivers his people. So if you've read it, you know that Moses came in. He freed his people. It was crazy. Like there was frogs and insects and the Nile River was flowing with blood. Like it was, it was insane, but they freed them. They walk out. And in chapter, I think 14 and 15, they're just like praising God, right? Like if you believe in Jesus right now, something in your heart should be kind of going like, amen. Like I am victorious in Jesus. I am free in Jesus. That's what they're kind of feeling on a physical sense. But, but then they have life to live, right? So go to Exodus 16. I want to show you this. So literally, Exodus 15, they're praising God that they were delivered. Now look at Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, they are maybe days, maybe hours outside of God delivering them through a sea. And they begin to look around and think, maybe Egypt wasn't so bad, right? Life starts to get a little bit difficult for them. And they start to think, I know that God did all these miracles, but I don't know if it was worth it. Now, there's two options in how we read this text. We could look at this and think about this and think, like, you dummies, like, what are you talking about? You just, like, walked through the Red Sea. You just had all these miracles happen. What are you doing? Why are you immediately thinking, yeah, maybe slavery wasn't so bad. Maybe the meat that we ate back then was actually better because I don't know what we're going to eat out here. Or we could take a moment and reflect in our life how frequently we end up doing the same thing. You know, we can look at them and judge them, or we can look to our life and think about how we do the exact same thing. You know, one of the great um, problems or, or issues I think that sometimes we make in Christian evangelism is that we will try to convince people that if you come to Jesus, everything in your life is just automatically going to be awesome. Right? Like you come to Jesus and everything's going to be good. Like you're going to smile for the rest of your life. You're going to be like happy, clappy. Everything's great. Like this euphoric high until you get like swept into heaven by angels. Like that's kind of, we try to sell people on this and we try to tell people, we try to be so culturally appealing that just if you, you don't have to change your life. You don't have to do other things. Just, just believe in Jesus and everything just gets way better. And we use Jesus as this like get rich quick scheme for people to just have a little bit better life. Now, in some sense, that's true, right? Like in some sense, life with Jesus is pure joy through all circumstances. 
You know, life with Jesus is freedom from sin. Life with Jesus is hope in the midst of suffering. Life with Jesus is getting God when you are separated. But life with Jesus can also be painful. Life with Jesus means that you're no longer king of your life, and we don't like that so much. Right? Life with Jesus is living by faith and not by sight, and that gets hard for us at times. You know, life with Jesus is not always knowing where God is going to provide until sometimes the very last moment, and that is hard for us. Life with Jesus sometimes looks like losing relationships, and that's hard for us. Life with Jesus means giving up more of yourself, sacrificing more of yourself than you ever have before, and that's hard for us. So this life with Jesus is this simultaneous joy and also this very hard, faith-filled life. And so maybe this morning, maybe you've believed in Jesus before, but you're kind of in this season of life where you've seen Jesus do amazing things. You've seen Jesus save you. You've seen God provide for you. You've seen God lead you, but you're kind of walking in what feels like the wilderness and you're kind of peeking back thinking, man, maybe that life wasn't so bad. You know, maybe that slavery wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, maybe the pleasures that I had then were more satisfying than the wilderness that I'm facing now. Maybe you're kind of walking through life with the perpetual kind of looking back, thinking maybe that was better. There was a a story about a man named uh, Jordan Anderson. He was an African-American man in the 1800s who was enslaved. Uh, and he was uh, under physical slavery until the point where slavery was abolished, and he got his uh, letter of freedom. And so uh, Jordan Anderson got to be free, and so he left his master's house, and he was now free. But here's the thing that many people didn't think about. Uh, he had lived in slavery his entire life. He had no idea how to be free. Like, he didn't know where food was going to come from. He didn't know what job he could get. He didn't know how he was going to provide for himself or his family. And so he walks out into freedom, now free, but with a lot of questions. And there was a point where his uh, master actually wrote him a letter, sent it to him, uh, basically asking him, hey, why don't you just come back? Like, I know that life is, is tricky. I know that it's hard out there. So here's what we'll do. Just come back. I'll treat you better. I'll give you more money. Like, things will be better. Now, think about for a man that's now having to figure out for the first time in his life how to, how to provide and figure out everything. Think about how appealing. Like, well, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. You know, no, I would know, I know the life, I know the money's going to come, I know how to do this. But he kind of famously wrote back to his master, and he essentially said, look, I don't know what life out here brings. I don't know how things are going to go, but I know that life ahead is better than life enslaved, therefore I will not turn back. He wrote back and said, I'm not going back, I know that life And I don't know the life ahead of me, but I know that it's going to be better than being enslaved. And he said, I'm not coming back. If it feels like for you this morning that you have this freedom, but you have this propensity where your sin is creeping in and just calling for you to come back, would you like this man in your soul say, I don't know what a life with Jesus always looks like, but I know it was better than slavery so I will not turn back. 
Life, freedom is not an easy life. It's not the euphoric high all the time. But the last point I want to make is that freedom is life with God. Freedom is life with God. And this is the greatest benefit. Go to uh, Exodus 24. I'll finish here. So after they grumble, God still makes a covenant with him. And he says, here, I freed you, not so that you could just be a people out there, but so that you could be my people, so that you could live with my presence, so you could be with me. And I love this verse. Go Exodus 24, 9 through 11. He says this, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Think about this. A people that were just a little bit ago enslaved with no God now sees God. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness, for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The great benefit of freedom is not just that you don't have to be addicted to things. It's that you actually get to be with God. The great benefit of freedom is life with God. And so here's how I want to end. It, I want to press this in to us as a church that like Jordan Anderson, that, that if you feel like I don't know what lies ahead, I don't know how God's going to provide, it feels like I'm walking in wilderness. I know God promised me something, but I don't sense it yet. And you start to feel those sins, those old addictions, those old ways of life creeping in and just saying, hey, it'll be better this time. Would this morning be a morning where you stand firm and say, I may not know what life with Jesus looks like, but I know it's better than that. I know that it's better than being enslaved to my sin, and therefore I will not turn back. And so if that's, let me say this, if if you're maybe a step behind that, and this morning you came in and you didn't know what life with God looks like, and you haven't ever trusted in Jesus. And as I'm talking about feeling slavery, you, you feel that. That weight is on you. I would ask you this morning, would you trust that God has made a way to save you? That God has sent a man into the midst of your slavery to bring you out into freedom? Would you trust Jesus maybe for the very first time? You know, like Dr. Martin Luther King said at the beginning, freedom isn't free. It has to be fought for. But the reality is that our freedom doesn't come from you fighting. It comes from Jesus fighting on your behalf. That he has done it for you and you can trust in him. Or if you are a a believer in Jesus, you're, you're walking in freedom, but you feel enslaved to pornography, or you feel enslaved to alcohol or some drug, or you feel enslaved to uh, something in the world or your job or whatever it might be, whatever that thing that used to be your master that's calling back to you, just trying to get you back, would you say this morning that I don't know what faith in Jesus and what life with Jesus looks like, but it's better than that, and would you make this morning a morning where you say, I'm not turning back anymore? I'm not going to keep peeking back at that old sin. I'm not going to keep trying to walk forward with Jesus, but taking a step back in sin. But I'm going to stand firm and walk in Jesus with life, with God this morning. So I want to invite the the band up. I'm just going to pray that over us. Because I realize 
that some of these addictions, some of these sins, these are real, strong sins. These are chains that really bind us. And whether it's for the first time that you're going to experience freedom from it, or whether today is just another step in your life with God where you're walking in freedom, uh, we need the Spirit of God to do this. And so um, we're going to take communion after I pray. Uh, and I would just ask you, if you if you have trusted in Jesus, and this morning, if you're saying that I just need the grace of God and the Spirit of God to help me walk in freedom, uh, I would invite you after I pray to come forward uh, and take communion. And as you do, it's the symbolic act of uniting yourself with Jesus and his death because he was a man who walked into slavery to lead you out. And as you take that, I want you to know you're free. Those things don't They don't have chains on you anymore. You're not enslaved to that anymore. Therefore, you can walk in freedom. And if you're if you're not a believer yet, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I would ask you just to stay seated. For for freedom is for those who Christ has set free. And if if you're not there yet, I would just ask you to sit and maybe for the first time just just cry for help. If you feel the weight of slavery like the Israelites, just cry for God. To help, and if you need to, uh, if you want to talk through anything or uh, have any anything prayed for, uh, Jared and I will be in the back for a little bit. We would love to. Whether it's uh, you want to trust in Jesus for the first time, or maybe it's you've been walking in slavery, even as a Christian, you've been walking in the sin, and you want freedom. Uh, we would love to talk and pray with you. So I'm going to pray. Uh, then you can come forward to take communion. There's gluten-free option in the back. Um, we're going to sing. And we're going to sing because God has freed us. God has made a way for us. Let me pray. Father, you are so good to send your son to a people that couldn't free themselves. God, we were a people in, in shackles. We were enchained to the addictions and the enslavement of our sin, the things of the world. But Jesus, on the cross, you broke those. When you rose again from the dead, you owned those things, that you are victorious over them, and you have sent your spirit inside of us to also be victorious over them. Would we experience that and feel that this morning? God, we feel your spirit press freedom into our souls that we don't have to be enslaved to the things we once were, but Jesus, you will lead us out. It may not be an easy life, and it may not be an easy uh, step towards freedom, but you do make it possible because you're with us. So God, I pray right now for everyone in the room, wherever it is they need to take a step of freedom, turning away from their sin and facing you. God, would you do that for them in this moment? God, would we be a church that is free? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.